The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Welcome to The Views Room, a weekly podcast brought to you by Reuters Breaking Views. I'm Rob Cox, the editor of Breaking Views, coming to you from Massachusetts in the USA. I'm taking a break from our scheduled podcast vacation to discuss Joe Biden's vice presidential pick, California Senator Kamala Harris, with Gina Chan out in Palo Alto. As Gina wrote this week, the choice ticks a number of important boxes. Her Jamaican-American and Indian-American heritage are the obvious ones. Her work in the criminal justice system as California Attorney General is another one that may resonate, particularly amid the Black Lives Matter moment. But her age, Harris is 55, is the one that most resembles what we see in the corporate world, where the question of what happens if a CEO gets hit by a bus dominates board planning discussions. Given Biden's age, he'll be 78 by Inauguration Day, it's no small matter. It also makes Biden unlikely to go for a second term. So as Gina points out, thus begins the 2024 race. Give a listen. So Gina Chan, it's a pleasure to speak to you out in California. I'm in the great state of Massachusetts, and we have had a pretty eventful week in terms of the November elections, no? Yeah, the presumptive Democratic presidential nominee, Joe Biden, finally picked his running mate. Kamala Harris from my state of California. So now we're off to the races literally uh, next week for the conventions. Yeah, no, it's pretty exciting. I mean, she was, it seemed to me that she was the conventional pick among the African-American women that were out there as the front runners. Yet at the same time, there does seem to be a sort of, it's, you know, people are pretty, there seems to be at least the Democratic base pretty charged up by it. Yeah, I think uh, the fact that she is the first black woman on the party ticket for for a major party, um, and she's also uh, half Indian, just having that diversity um, really does charge the base, especially with all the protests uh, against racial injustice this year. And obviously, then there's Donald Trump, who uh, is also obviously a target of the base. And uh, given the close election in 2016, having someone like Harris on the ticket will hopefully get uh, voters out there to the ballot box, or at least well, mailing them in. <laughs> it certainly has charged up Donald Trump. I got, I, I get, I don't know if you get his emails um, yes. from the Trump. Emails and says, texts <laughs> and all sorts of things. <laughs> well, it, it could be worse. Um, I got, I got one that says, it, it says, friend, comma, Kamala Harris <laughs> is the meanest, most horrible, most disrespectful, all caps, most liberal of anyone in the U.S. Senate. And I cannot believe that Joe Biden would pick her as his running mate. That was just sort of the starting point. So he's clearly, you know, she, he, she is she has really struck a nerve with him and the Republicans. Yeah, well, it's a funny thing because uh, they are trying to pin her down with all these name callings, as especially Trump is wont to do. And, and you rattled some of those off. But because she is more moderate than, let's say, Elizabeth Warren, she doesn't have uh, some of the political baggage that someone like Susan Rice, who was President Barack Obama's former national security advisor, had. So they're um, she had the Benghazi it. baggage. Ex exactly. Yeah. And so she, having someone like Harris is uh, is a bit difficult for the Trump team to to pin down, and you know having the name that they've attached to her, I think, is 
phony. That seems to be the one that keeps popping up a lot. Um, and Trump has called her a nasty woman, as he's called many women. Nothing <laughs> um, misogynistic is, about that. Or it, yeah, exactly. Well, on top of that, saying, you know, suburban housewives, come and vote for me, um, is, uh, is you know, a, a definite threat to them in a way that having another pick uh, wouldn't be. Well, but one of the most interesting things, apart from her her background as attorney general in California, her background uh, as a U.S. senator and other things and and her racial background being, as you said, uh, Jamaican-American and Indian-American, it's her age. She's 55 years old. Let's go to this because Biden is going to be the I mean, he will be older if he wins. He will be older on Inauguration Day than than Ronald Reagan was when he left. And we all tend to think of Reagan as this sort of doddering old man at the end of his two terms. So this is I mean, in some ways, this has got to be one of the most important kind of just from a technocratic perspective uh, um, of benefits to having her as on the ticket now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, usually the vice presidential pick isn't that big of a deal in terms of actual influence on voters. Uh, and a lot of times once they are actually in the administration are more like a figurehead, you know, do a lot of ribbon cutting sort of things. Although Biden was much more involved in uh, policy issues than some of his predecessors when he held that number two spot under Obama. But you're right, with this election, given Biden's age, he'll be uh, 78 if he wins and takes office in January. And that puts uh, his number two much more in the spotlight. And having someone be ready on day one to take over that job, if if need be, was was much more important this time around. Right. I mean, I mean actuarially speaking, Joe Biden yes. is, is not going to <laughs> is it may not last four years. I mean, just that's just an actuarial argument. And then and then of course he's it's unlikely he will be in position at eighty two to take on a second term. Although, I mean, look, there are aging uh, leaders, mostly dictators around the world who, who <laughs> of that age, of, of that, of that age. But so, but you, it was interesting, you wrote a piece in response to the nomination or the choice, um, which you kind of you suggested a little bit of an analogy to corporate succession planning, right? Because a CEO, oh, you know, there's always this question, the CEO could go and get hit by a bus, who would be their, their number two? I mean, expand on that a little bit. What was your thinking in making that connection? Yeah, well, because the number two spot was more important this time around because of Biden's age, uh, you do have to be thinking about succession uh, as just a practical matter. But then uh, expanding it out, you beyond the vice presidential spot, there are a host of other people who competed against Biden during the Democratic presidential primary who could also join his administration. You have uh, Mayor Pete uh, Buttigieg from What's South his Bend, job? Indiana. What would you give him? Um, How would you, you know, benchmark? People have thrown his name around as possible uh, UN ambassador, you know, something that has yep. sort of a, a high profile global stage. And he's um, multilingual, right? Yes, exactly. Taught himself he's Norwegian. He's a, a veteran and served in Afghanistan. Uh, so he has a lot of experience on that uh, in that space and also did surprisingly a lot better than uh, some of the Washington veterans during the primary process. So he's definitely one to watch, as is uh, Susan Rice. She could be Secretary of State, which is a job she was up for uh, until the Benghazi thing had her pull out um, under Obama, but she could also come back. There's If, uh, if the Senate, of course, moves 
you know, with a few more Democrats, then that's yes. doable without a filibuster-proof majority. Exactly. I suppose she should get that chance. Yeah. And then you've got, I guess, Andrew Yang you mentioned as well. I, mm-hmm. I'm a fan of that guy. I, and I could I could totally see him, that whole, you know, his idea of basic minimum income or, or universal income, mm-hmm. um, his view about the future of work and technology. You could totally see that guy running the, you know, Secretary of Labor or something like that, no? Yeah, or commerce. I mean, I've seen, uh, I've talked to some folks in the Biden campaign who were really impressed with how far he got, how articulate he was about talking about these huge shifts uh, in the economy and among the workforce in a way that really resonated with people, which is hard to do because sometimes you can get sort of bogged down in kind of the wonkiness of the technology. But he was able to sort of simplify the message and then connect it back to policy. And so I think he could have a bright future. Um, So you've got this sort of, you've got a cabinet potentially of potential successors as well, besides Kamala Harris. I think you made the the analogy to uh, Dor- Doris Kearns Goodwin's book on uh, the team of rivals, which uh, really was uh, was the title for her biography of, of Lincoln. Yeah, and he had, you know, a, a similar cabinet of, you know, very competent people, but who were also uh, had very different points of view and, and uh, affected his administration, but also made it better. And that's hopefully what uh, having some of these people in these spots, if, if Biden wins, would do. Uh, of course, of course, Lincoln, the succession, well, <laughs> Lincoln's yes, successor exactly. was probably the worst president <laughs> in the history up to now yes um, and so we wouldn't know it wouldn't definitely work but that was of course a different era and uh, yes. this is you know this is a completely different uh ball game now let me ask you finally like since for our readers or our audience i mean people are very interested in finance business does this shift i mean adding kamala harris to uh the ticket does this give us any indication about the economic message or the economic policy of a potential biden uh presidency Well, on that front, they have yet to sort of clarify or articulate a clear message that would resonate in the way that uh, Trump did uh, in 2016 in terms of, you know, America first, Um, say what you will about it. But it was a very uh, straightforward message that uh, didn't require a lot of explaining. Um, Biden has latched on to build back better, um, but it's uh, a little bit harder to explain. Build back um, better? Yes, exactly. You, you, I think they should throw that like one the, back out to the yeah. uh, marketing department. Exactly. So that that's not as uh, easy to put on a hat, uh, if you will, than the Make America Great Again. So. Uh, the one thing it does say, though, is that uh, perhaps that they will take a more middle of the approach road uh, when it comes to the economy, because there are those like Senator Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, uh, both of whom ran against Biden, and at least Warren could also have a spot in um, in his administration if he wins, if if they can get over, you know, the the Senate makeup and and try to ensure a majority, even if they lose her, uh, that right because she's a Massachusetts senator exactly. and the governor of Massachusetts, Charlie Baker, in the great state of Massachusetts where I find myself right now, is a Republican and he would appoint her successor. He probably yeah. it's unlikely he's going to be the guy 
to buck the Republican Party by putting a Democrat in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, especially if if Biden does win, there will be more pressure to definitely not do that. But there was a sense and, and continues to be that people like Warren, like Sanders, uh, like AOC in New York are all pulling the party to the left. And that is who goes out to vote, That who that's the group that energizes the base. And there's been real pressure on Biden to cater to them and uh, take on some of their causes. And I think, you know, choosing someone like Harris shows that the shifts in policy proposals and, and what we can expect of his administration uh, would not be as um, as radical, if you will, as right. some as another pick would have suggested. All right. Well, thank you, Gina. Um, get a good rest this weekend because next week is the Democratic National Convention or the the, the virtual, uh, the one, virtual anyway. <laughs> the, the Zoom facsimile of a exactly. convention. It won't be as much fun as the one we went to in Philadelphia four years ago. No, or that one or the um, the Republican one where there was an interesting cast of characters there because of Trump. So we'll that, all have to watch it so, online. Got, that was so much more fun. Yeah. Last time. Um, but it's a shame to miss them this time around. But uh, we'll be back and talk uh, with you about the convention next week. Great. Thanks for having me. Bye. That's our show for this week. Thanks to Gina for tuning in and hats off to our producers, Freddie Joyner and Amanda Gomez in New York. Our final thanks go to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go to get your podcast fixes. Check us out every day at breakingviews.com. And don't forget to tune in next week for another edition from the Democratic National Convention, or at least the virtual version. Thank you and stay healthy.